Welcome to the Cambridge Tech Podcast, talking all things technology from the heart of the UK's tech capital. Here are your hosts, Faye Holland and James Parton. I'm Faye. And I'm James. So in this week's Cambridge Tech News, first we have positive news coming out of Arm. They have reported Q2 revenue of $806 million, which is the first time they've topped quarterly revenues of more than $800 million in their 33-year history. And they're also up 28% year on year. CEO Rennie Haas said the returns show that Arm's diversified business strategy is showing real results. And again, you know, the numbers are really impressive. Um, 7.1 billion ARM-based chips were reported as shipped, which takes the total of globally shipped ARM-based chips to an amazing 272.5 billion chips, which is uh, pretty mind-blowing. Moving on. Amadeus Capital Partners, and a quick reminder to listen to two episodes with Amadeus. First, episode 37, which was our interview with Amelia Armour, and episode 42, which was our interview with Amadeus co-founder, Herman Hauser. So this week, Amadeus have invested $100 million into a Canadian quantum computing company, Photonic, and uh, Dr. Hauser said Photonic has innovation with awesome potential. And sticking with the quantum theme... Cambridge entrepreneur Andrew Dunn, who was formerly a director at Arm, is to lead a move into the UK for Australian quantum brilliance. Andrew will be the country manager in the UK and quantum brilliance are headquartered, as I say, in Australia and also have operations in Germany, Singapore and the Americas and soon to be the UK, possibly Cambridge. Quantum Brilliance are developing quantum computers that use synthetic diamonds to operate at room temperatures in any environment, which sounds interesting. Cambridge GAN Devices, the fabulous cleantech semiconductor company, is working with Chikoni Power Technology of Taiwan and Cambridge University Technical Services to conceive and develop advanced, efficient, high-power density adapters and data center power products using GAN. Some quick plugs from me before we get to our main uh, interview. Uh, a quick plug for the relaunch of the Cambridge Software Crafters Meetup, which is at the Bradfield Centre on Tuesday the 14th. Visit bradfieldcentre.com to sign up for that one. Uh, it's really great to see these communities restarting after the recent pandemic disruption. Whether you're a first-time listener or you've been with us from day one, a quick reminder of the ways you can get involved with the podcast. First and most importantly, make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode. Secondly, we have a growing archive of content, which you can search via our website, which is cambridgetechpodcast.com. Just click on show notes and any of the search or click on a topic keyword to instantly find episodes of interest. Finally, follow us on LinkedIn. We put out content throughout the week, so just don't miss out. As well as today's episode, it was also the big Agritech E event called REAP this week. We've not actually done anything on Agritech yet, but that's certainly something that we should be looking into for future episodes. And still on events, okay, so it's not news, but it's about events. It's the end of year event season with both One Nucleus holding their Genesis Conference in London and CW holding their International Conference in Cambridge, both in the first week of December. So... To get your fix of either life sciences or technology, do check out their web pages for more information. Yeah, there's certainly a lot going on over the next six weeks. 
Well, let's talk about today's episode. We're back at Cambridge Enterprise's Chris Abel's postdoc competition. We're going to talk to Dr. Christine Martin, head of seed funds, first of all, and then we're going to give each of the six finalists a platform to talk about their invention so that you can see what type of innovation is coming out of the University of Cambridge right now. So let's get started. Hi, Christine. Can you believe it's been 12 months since we covered the Chris Abel postdoc competition? How's the last year been? Hi, Faye. Yes, it's been an amazing year and we've had a really fantastic Chris Abel postdoc business plan competition. But to say some things about the eventful year that Cambridge Enterprise has had, the Seed Funds team have made 18 equity investments this year and we've helped to start 14 new companies. We've had many new initiatives in Cambridge Enterprise, such as Founders of the University of Cambridge, which is an initiative to support entrepreneurs across the university, so faculty, postdocs, students and alum. You packed a lot in there. It sounds like a really eventful year. It must be an exciting time to be in Cambridge Enterprise. Yes, it is. I think Cambridge Enterprise now has more than 100 employees and we cross the entire span of supporting university academics and entrepreneurs in all of their commercialisation activities. Yeah, there's a lot going on. We uh, we also spoke to Gerard prior to him taking the founder's roles. We should definitely reach back out and get an update from Gerard now he's in post. And we also recently spoke to Dermot and Tabitha about Innovate Cambridge, which is another obviously important programme as well. Yes, Innovate Cambridge had a great event a couple of weeks ago where they managed to attract uh, attendees from across the entire spectrum of stakeholders who are interested in the development of the Cambridge area. So not just the university and not just the people involved in commercialisation, but the people involved in government and local politics and local industry and also the town. Mm, yeah, so much going on. Really exciting. So let's talk about this year's Chris Abel postdoc competition. What were the entries like and how was it picking the six finalists? Yes, the Chris Abel postdoc business plan competition has been fantastic this year. We had over 20 entrants and before they even provided their first iteration of the business plan, we had the training sessions by Ludo Chapman, who's fantastic. The business plans are judged by a number of people in my team and from the entrepreneurial postdocs of Cambridge. And every plan is judged by three or four people independently. Nobody sees all of the applications. And then the scoring system narrows it down to maybe 12 semi-finalists. Now, those 12 semi-finalists are each assigned a mentor and they can work with that mentor. Um, they're expected to talk to them weekly and iterate their ideas, use them as a thinking partner. And during that time, they enhance their business plan and their thinking about their market and how they could actually move their technology forward. And then they provide a second iteration of the plan, which is again judged by different people. And we narrow it down to our six finalists who have been presenting in the grand finale. Yeah, I mean, when we were chatting prior to recording, it, it's interesting, isn't it? Because the format, it, it's not really a competition in the sense that the, the teams get so much support and benefit greatly from being involved even before the final actually happens. It, it is, it's an interesting format. It's very hands-on, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. And and really the, the whole point of it is to encourage postdocs who are entrepreneurial to, to explore their ideas and their technologies and to develop them with as much support as we can give them. So it's not really about who is the winner and who comes second, although obviously that's part of the process. It's really about taking postdocs with an exciting idea or an exciting technology and, uh, or a dream and helping them take the first steps on the road to realising that entrepreneurial dream. So, Christine, I guess we'd better find out from the six finalists what problem they're solving. And then we'll come back to you at the end to announce the winners. <laughs> 
That's fantastic. And the problems that the finalists are mostly solving right now are to do with sustainability and the transition to electrification and really solving those big global problems, which obviously the University of Cambridge Research should be poised to solve. Let's get started with Mark Carrington with Oxonium Energy. Mark, hello. Tell us about your innovation and what you're trying to achieve. Sure. So currently, I'm a third-year PhD student in the Yusuf Hamid Department of Chemistry. And essentially, what I'm trying to do is address a need, address the need for grid-scale energy storage and how to provide that, that sort of storage and that sort of energy cheaply and widely, as widely as possible. Who needs this storage? What kind of industries, what kind of use cases are there? So the use cases are quite broad. Um, it can be anywhere from utilities, renewable energy developers and so on. But one of the key areas that I'm looking at right now is essentially how to use these technologies to provide energy access solutions for those around the world. So, Mark, this is your second appearance on the podcast, so welcome mm -hmm. back. Um, Thank you. you. You joined us for the Trinity Bradfield Prize episode in January this year, uh, where you were one of the uh, the winners of that competition. Yes. So maybe give us an update of what's happened, you know, over the over this year and how things have developed with the technology and if you've received any additional recognition or funding. Yes, absolutely. So since, since the Bradfield Prize, my entire focus has been to take this concept from more or less a lab scale demonstration, a working prototype, and see if I can demonstrate it at a much larger scale, a scale that's all that's more or less on the cusp of, of industrial applicability. So I got in touch with the UK Faraday Institution, and they have currently agreed to support me for a quarter million pounds to essentially build one of these demonstrators. So the, the scale that we're targeting right now is kilowatt hour. And just for, just, just for reference, this is enough energy to basically supply an average UK household for a day. So that's really interesting, Mark. I mean, are you thinking about the UK for the pilot or you, have you got international ambition for the, for the pilot program? So, so far, um, the, the project will be based in the UK. However, the funding that we've received through the UK Faraday Institution um, comes from a much larger uh, pool of, of funding administered through the Foreign Office. And this is targeted towards energy access opportunities. So right now, we're, we're actually developing these technologies towards um, demonstration in developing countries and emerging economies. And we're making sure that the ultimate technology that we build is not only high performing and low cost, but, but fit for purpose for these applications as well to ensure that as we scale our technologies are deployable anywhere and can serve the, the, the widest possible group of people. Assuming no bumps in the road with the technology how far away would you think you are from say a, a commercial pilot of the, of the product? So pending successful validation of the technology up until summer of 2024 um, we'll then be looking to scale even larger into an actual an actual industrially viable system which is megawatt hour scale so this this it's a sort of system that would take up an entire shipping container and with that we're looking to plug directly into the grid and validate under actual grid storage conditions so as James said, you've done the Trinity Bradfield Prize yes. and then you've moved on to this one. Right. What, what, what have you got out of being involved in, in this programme specifically? Has yes. it added any different values for you? 
Um, I've found it to be an extremely valuable program. Um, the mentors that they select for you are, are, are very helpful and very knowledgeable. And the entire process of, of, of taking you as more, more or less as, as a, a researcher, um, through and through researcher, and walking you through the process step by step of building a business plan and how that affects the entire way in which you contextualize your work and how it sets priorities for, for future. It's been a very valuable experience for me. And and is it you personally or are, they, are there other people involved in this as well? In my specific project, it's a student-PI combination. So the other member of my team is Professor Dame Claire Gray, and she's a world-renowned expert in batteries yeah. um, and a co-founder of the company Nyabolt. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a very good person to have on your on your team, isn't it? She's extremely knowledgeable. <laughs> Excellent. That's great. Thank you so much, Mark, and all the very best. Thank you. Next, we're moving to the telecoms and aerospace market with Abul Fazza Mustani and the team's invention at Zinatech. Abe, please introduce yourself and tell us about your invention. Uh, hello, everyone. Thank you for having me. So as you said, my name is Abul Fazza, but everyone calls me Abe. And um, so I'm a last year PhD student of electrical engineering. And... So early this year, we came up with an idea to design and uh, fabricate uh, microwave filters for telecommunication industry. And right now we are in the competition. I'm the city of Zenatech, previously known as Fabfreak. And we are trying to design, fabricate and deliver microwave filters for satellite industry. And our innovation is we want to deliver devices faster, cheaper and also lighter for the industry. So Abe, you're obviously focusing, it looks like, on more like a satellite to mobile internet services. So more data than voice. Is that is that right? It is right. Okay. What kind of form factor are you looking at? Are you thinking like uh, this would eventually be in everyone's mobile devices or is this more like um, an IoT style application? Mm -hmm. So um, the microwave industry or in general telecom industry is a broad, industry it's, it's it has different sectors sensors antenna mm. uh, 4g 5g networks satellite industry we are focusing on satellite like the physically satellites that launch in in a space yeah and the devices are bulky so you can't fit them inside the handset or mobiles so initially uh, we've got the knowledge to design bulky devices for satellite applications. So the short answer is, is specifically for satellites to, to be launched into a space. Okay. So similar more to something like Starlink, that kind of thing, where you've actually uh, got a yes. kind of re a receiver exactly. on the ground. Yes. Okay. I got you. How far away do you think we are from like a commercial deployment? Uh, what, what are the steps that you need to mm -hmm. go through to get there? So th this industry is quite well established. I mean, to be honest, the history of microwave devices goes back at least 200 years ago. And since um, like uh, 50 years ago, the process, the design process ha hasn't been changed. So we are here to disrupt the market. Market is ready for disruption. So we want to add novelty into the market. So uh, in a way, for the design process, for example, we want to use AI to increase the pace of the design process. Mm -hmm. And also in terms of uh, price, we want to deliver them cheaper 
basically we are trying to gather a hardcore engineers to just focus on the design to reduce the prices as much as possible. So that's exactly similar to the thing that Elon Musk does in his company. So they just focus on the design and producing the product and then reducing the costs. For example, I don't know, we don't want to go to conferences, very like fancy conferences. We just want to reduce the prices as much as possible. So it's really interesting that this idea came up at the start of the year and then you found yourself on the Chris Abel postdoc um, competition. What's the team construct like? You know, how have you pulled that team together and what are your different roles and responsibilities? So that's a really good question. So everything has started with a, a table football like competition, something like that. So I've got a big table football. It covers like four people. Four people can play at the same time. So I set up my table football in the landing area of the block. So we are living in a block. And uh, so one day we were playing fo- table football. There was Elaha, me, and also George, who is my next door neighbor literally next door neighbor. So we were playing table football. George was saying that I've done MBA. I I, I know marketing and uh, I, I have experience in doing startups. And Ella was saying that uh, I'm interested in AI. I'm doing something about, about self-studying about AI. She was actually doing a project with Cambridge Graphen Center to use AI to do some sort of image processing. And I was like the only one doesn't have any PhD or master. I was doing my PhD also. So I had the idea to design the microwave filters. So at that point, we just said, uh, how hard could it be to, to just set up a business right here? Because we had all of the expertise required. I had the idea, George has the financial aspect of the business and also Ella got the AI part. So this is the way we find each other and then set up the group. And then the rest is just we came to the postdoc competition and we are here for the grand finale. I I love that. I think it's hilarious. So, you know, we always have the pub conversation or the restaurant, but I think that that's the first one. First table football. Yeah, Yeah. that's great. Yeah, indeed. And how are you finding the support? It sounds like you're like a first time entrepreneur with this uh, with this initiative. So how are you finding the support infrastructure from the university to encourage that? Okay, so everything started from one meeting with Cambridge Enterprise on April this year. And we were explaining the idea. The idea was, it wasn't like very well established. It was just an idea. So we shared that with Cambridge Enterprise and they uh, referred me to Impulse Program first. So I did Impulse Program first and then Again, through Cambridge Enterprise, they referred me to postdoc competition. And my, my sister, Ella, have, uh, she's a postdoc. So uh, everything was just matched for being in the competition. We had all of the members, everything. And uh, definitely everything was about support from Cambridge Enterprise. That's really good to hear. Yeah, and Yupar will be ecstatic with, with the mention. I really such a appreciate her support. Yeah, she is an amazing person. That's great. Well, well, all the best. Let's see what happens in the next few yeah, months thank for you. you. So much. Third, we're heading to another type of battery technology, this time lithium sulfur batteries. And to tell us why these are more promising beyond lithium ion batteries is Ismail Sami. Welcome, Ismail. Can you tell us a little bit about Mostly and why your invention is so exciting? 
Thank you so much for having me here today. My name is Dr. Ismail Sami. I'm a postdoctoral researcher at the University of Cambridge Department of Material Science and Metallurgy. And together with fellow researcher Dr. Jonathan Lee, Professor Manish Chawala, and Dr. Sai Shivaredi, we are creating the next generation energy storage solution, mostly. So current batteries, like lithium-ion batteries, they're too heavy or too large for weight critical applications. Instead, we're working on the next generation of energy storage solutions called the lithium sulfur battery. You highlight the issue of weight there. What kind of applications then are you looking at for these style of battery? Mm, That's a great question. So because the lithium sulfur battery has a very high theoretical capacity, very high energy per weight, about five to ten times more than lithium ion, it has huge implications for weight critical applications such as drones, satellites, vehicles and even touching upon electric aviation. And whereabouts are you in the development of the technology right now? Is Are you still kind of in the lab with it or are you approaching pilots or trials? You know, give us a flavor of, you know, the maturity of the idea. Mm. So the initial results we have in making prototype uh, cells, these are batteries about the size that go in your phone, are very promising. So that we've shown that they have very high energy density, um, about twice of lithium ion, and that they can cycle hundreds of times. But there's a lot of work to be done. Um, And the team are currently working to develop scalable manufacturing of the cathode uh, material, which is our innovation, and looking at ways to improve the energy density and cyclability of the cells with our novel material. We've been quite successful with funding uh, to date, receiving the EPSRC Impact Acceleration Account and European Research Council Proof of Concept to help us move these batteries to market and commercialise as soon as possible. That's, that's really exciting and, and well done for getting some good traction um, so early on in your, in your journey. Um, obviously, this is a, a, an impact on sustainability in the environment. So how much is, are you focusing on the drive for net zero as part of that ambition? How are you balancing that with being technology led? Mm, that is a very good question. So batteries have a huge implication on uh, moving us to net zero. As we produce more green energy, we're going to need better energy storage solutions to help us and help those as we move to net zero. And our batteries, they have huge implications in a number of applications which need lightweight batteries. Several applications such as drones and satellites, they need lighter batteries to go further, drive further, fly further. And lithium sulfur could prove vital as global economies uh, transition away from the use of fossil fuels. Unlike conventional lithium-ion batteries, the materials in lithium sulfur batteries, they don't contain transition metals like nickel, manganese or cobalt, um, which are expensive, resource-constrained and have social and environmental issues associated with their mining. Uh, in, in contrast, our materials, uh, they use sulfur, which is an incredibly abundant element on Earth. And the lightweight nature of these batteries means that they could potentially be deployed in applications uh, such as short-range commercial aviation. And is anyone doing anything similar? Yeah, th- th- there's loads of people working on this and trying to make batteries for um, aviation for lighter uh, weight batteries. But uh, the problem is that most of these technologies, they have a lot of hurdles associated with them because they're complex in chemistry um, or they're just not mature enough to date. Sounds like you're making good progress. How has the Chris Abel postdoc competition helped distill the thinking and, and move the, the project forward? 
Yeah, it's quite cliche to say, but it's true that the journey uh, is uh, is more important here than than the end result with the Chris Abel. And the feedback we've received with the last couple of months in developing our model, our, our plan, our pitch, uh, and refining it with the judges has been has been invaluable to us. Sounds great, and uh, we wish you the best of luck. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Our next guest is no stranger to the podcast. In fact, she was featured in episode number four as a result of winning the 2021 Trinity Bradfield Prize. Now, I'm sure you've all already listened to that episode and know what she's going to say. But for those who haven't, let us welcome again Molly Hagen. Molly, please introduce yourself and tell us about Sense and the mini CPC. Thank you so much for having me again. I really appreciate being in this space and being able to chat with you both. Um, and it's just a great honor to be here. So I'm Molly. I am a co-founder of Adosense. Um, We have spun out of the engineering department here at the University of Cambridge. We really started this journey about a year and a half ago, um, where we really started with the Trinity Bradfield Prize, where we have been introduced to, to you both and um, have had the opportunity to be welcomed into this space. And over um, the past year, we've really developed as a company, now spinning out of the university and being involved in more of these startup funds and prizes, where we have had the opportunity to not only showcase our great technology, but also learn about other technology that other people are starting up and, and get to really experience the community that Cambridge has so greatly facilitated for, for startup communities. So our technology counts ultrafine particles, which um, for people that don't know, that's particles less than 300 nanometers and comprise about 90% of the air we breathe. And so by counting these particles, we are hoping that we can not only improve energy efficiency of buildings, but also improve air quality by installing them into places like HVAC systems, working with smart building controls, um, as well as with policy people, where we can hopefully improve the regulations around these particles themselves. So Molly, I, I follow you on um, LinkedIn and I, you've been very active since we saw you at the Trinity Bradfield Prize. Maybe summarise some of the kind of highlights of what's happened this year, both from a personal perspective, but also with the development of the product and the technology. Yeah, it has been a very busy year. So the Trinity Bradfield Prize really kicked off a snowballing effect for our company. We have been part of a few different programs, um, Accelerate Cambridge, Enterprise Tech, um, recently funded through Innovate UK iCure, which is a market discovery program that I'm very honoured to be part of, being that I get to go out and go into the market and see where people can actually use our product. Since last year, um, we have taken the concept from a, a model-based system into a prototype. This week, we had our very first field testing campaign where we actually went out into a field, uh, a literal field, and <laughs> and were able to measure particles. And so for us, that's a, a great win on the prototype development side. Um, going forward, we have a few things left to do on our electronics, but after that, we're actually going to be able to deploy this into our target markets, such as with um, you know, Honeywell or Daikin, where we're we're hoping to get some good collaborations with them, potentially even with Boeing or Airbus that are looking at the different airspaces that they're operating in and how they can introduce new technology. And tell us a little bit, Molly, about the team. How's that developed? You know, who's who's on the journey with you now? Yeah, so we we still have um, the same team around us, which is great um, as the as the core group. Beyond that, we've actually been able to secure a few advisors, which is really important at this stage where we have people that are more from the outside perspective so they can help guide us on more of a business standpoint rather than the technology standpoint because that we have a, a really good foundation of. So we have we have two advisors that we are able to bounce ideas off of and help us guide us along that path. 
And then along with that, these different groups that we've been a part of through, you know, Accelerate Cambridge or Enterprise Tech, done a lot of networking where we were able to get some mentorship along with that as well. The iCure program, along with that, had um, a very intense week of, of coaching and it was kind of a boot camp of sorts where we were able to connect with people not only in the Cambridge sphere, but also UK-wide connecting with a lot of people up in Northern Ireland where they have a very different perspective of what is important for businesses and how to infiltrate into those different commercial settings um, that may have different logistics for getting sensors into their spaces. So you touched on navigating and getting to know the Cambridge ecosystem. You're obviously someone that's figured out how to navigate that successfully. What would your advice be to any, you know, university student or researcher that's listening to this and has that kind of entrepreneurial itch, you know, what what would your advice be to them in terms of how to get started? Yeah, I I think mainly just going for it and being genuine about your intentions. You know, it's such a great space. There's so many people here that are willing to help and give you their time, which is probably the most valuable thing that you can get here in Cambridge, where people are willing to give you an hour or two and just chat about, you know, how to even get started. Um, I think connecting with people on LinkedIn that have kind of gone through these different programs or even that are willing to to mentor people that are just getting started. Um, there's so many great opportunities that, you know, if you just put in a Google search of where you can get started and then look for people that have participated in that and they can give you some advice of how to, you know, not only navigate into those arenas, but also then make the most of them. Because I think um, the biggest thing is is showing your your enthusiasm towards what you're doing and being able to articulate that well. And so people can not only see the value in your product, but also the value in investing their time into you. Great advice. Thank you for sharing that, Molly. And all the very best. And should we just book you in for next year now? Is That'd it, be is great. It an yeah, thing? I mean, I, you probably need to. I mean, I'm, it looks <laughs> like I'm going to be quite busy the next year. So yeah, let's get that in. Perfect. If you are a startup looking to grow in Cambridge, the Bradfield Centre offers a range of flexible membership packages which put you in control of your office and home working mix. There's a vibrant, collaborative atmosphere, on-site cafe, plenty of green outside space and regular member social events. We also offer a range of high-quality meeting spaces for hire and for tech event organisers, our auditorium, Lakeside Pavilion and Atrium spaces are perfect to bring your communities together for in-person and hybrid events. For more information, visit bradfieldcentre.com or call 01223 919600. Our penultimate finalist is Camille Sokolowski, who is here representing Semantics and is working on electron transfer and technologies. So welcome, Camille. Please, would you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about the journey and why this is important? Okay, uh, thank you for having me. Uh, my name is Camille. I'm postdoc working together with Professor Owen Sherman and Dr. Jade McCune in the Medical Laboratory for Polymer Synthesis at Yusuf Hamid Department of Chemistry here in Cambridge. 
Uh, together with Jade and Oren, we are developing research on electronic materials and electron transfer processes and technologies related to energy conversion and storage catalysis and polymer upcycling. Now, after more than 15 years of research, we have access to more than 300 unique molecules. We understand fundamental processes based on uh, their chemistry. We identified and uh, demonstrated applications and we have uh, developed synthetic know-how, allowing scale-up and commercialization of uh, this chemistry. And this is beginning of semantics. We're obviously not experts in the field, so we're going to ask you some some questions to help kind of bring it to life, uh, both for us and maybe listeners. So is this is this breakthrough research? Is this kind of unique research? It is unique research uh, and actually breakthrough, uh, thinking about uh, uh, about the properties of the materials uh, we, we have developed. So we have developed a new family of 100% uh, metal-free molecules that can store, transfer, and exchange electrons and energy. And what we found is that using these molecules, energy can be exchanged, transported, and stored in the presence of air. And this is unusual. This has opened a myriad of possibilities uh, for applications of these molecules in many different areas where electrons transfer is critical, like energy storage. Usually, these applications require presence of metal centers and are highly air sensitive. In contrast, our technology is metal free and air tolerant. So, what are the implications if this if this technology can be applied into those those areas? What would be the disruption that would cause? So the major problem uh, of energy conversion in storage system is their dependence on metal sources. And Semantics aims to provide solutions for these problems in the form of metal-free energy mediators, electrolytes, which are based on abundant elements being 30 times cheaper than metal-based electrolytes. This gives 30-fold reduction of the electrolyte price and up to 50% reduction in battery manufacturing. So our electrolytes are made from abundant organic elements like carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, hydrogen are air-stable and can be manufactured anywhere in the world. So we believe that this will fully democratize energy storage, making it cheap and independent from geopolitics. That's interesting. So cost benefits, sounds like there's an environmental benefit there as well in terms of the kind of materials being used in the production of batteries. Is there a performance improvement as well or is it mostly cost-based? There is cost-based but also uh, uh, can be performance improvement through research and development of this of this class materials in the future. And just picking up on that a little bit, as we were coming in to do the, the recording, Camille, you'd met one of the other finalists and there are three out of six, so half of you are doing something around batteries. Is that because the technology is advanced or the, the, the environmental needs more important? What, what, what do you think is the... The catalyst for that? Oh, the catalyst of that uh, is the energy, energy crisis and energy transition and also the development of the area. Many things uh, came together technologically and uh, this is very interesting that uh, we met here, like three of us together. Every one, uh, like each of us are working on the batteries, however, in the three different areas. One of my colleagues is uh, developing battery as a device. Uh, the another colleague is developing uh, one of the parts of the battery, which is electrode. And in our case, we are developing electrolytes. Three different parts of the battery, if bring, you bring them together, you will have the entire battery. So you say that this is, um, you know, the culmination of 15 years of research. So maybe a two-part question, you know, why was now the right time to enter the postdoc competition? And, um, you know, what are you hoping to get from the competition? 
many things need to happen in chemistry, actually, if you would like to commercialize. Usually in chemistry, we are starting from uh, small quantities of, uh, of compounds. We, we would like to find properties of this compound and then applications. This takes time. Uh, the next step is a scale-up of the technology, uh, which will allow you commercialization. And from our side, this happens in the, in the 15 years. If that would happen 20 years ago, we would not find this application yet uh, because there was no need 20 years ago to find these applications. However, now is a perfect time because of the development of the technology, energy storage systems. All of these things needed to, to come together actually to allow us to get to this point. And you're hoping the competition gives you the kind of the business framework to help progress the commercial opportunity? Is, is that a fair observation? Yeah, I, I believe that we... Uh, have already received the most important thing from the competition is a clear business plan with description of the first target market uh, for semantics and the great support from mentors and experts involved into the competition. We wish you the best of luck. Okay, thank you very much. And last but not least, we're moving to stem cell transplantation using AI. To explain more, we're pleased to introduce Ahmed Elwaraki from KSTEM. So, Ahmed, welcome. Um, please tell us about yourself and the problem you're trying to solve. Thank you so much for the opportunity. So, my name is Ahmed. I'm a postdoc in the Department of Hematology in Cambridge Stem Cell Institute, and also at the same time, a postdoc in Salgrinska Hospital in Sweden. I did my PhD in Karolinska Institute in Sweden, and I've been working in Cambridge Stem Cell Institute for the past year in Lisa Laurenti lab. It was during my work in the postdoc that we came across the idea of stem cell transplant using AI. So the problem we're trying to solve is the need for donors during stem cell transplantation. What we're trying to do is by using single cell omics and AI to eliminate the need for donors during stem cell transplant. Instead, the patient can use his own stem cells for any disease that is needed for stem cell uh, by using or by elevating single-cell omics and AI, we're trying to separate the stem cell from the own patient himself to use the healthy, good stem cells for any disease that is treated by stem cell transplantation. So you're going to potentially remove the need for finding donors, is that correct? Uh, this is what we're hoping for, and this is our problem that we're trying to solve, Exactly. And, and is, this the, is that a kind of a, a breakthrough? Is that unique? Uh, are there others looking at this as a field? So there is not in industry, not as far as I know, but I know some other people within academia trying to use iPS cells to do that. So they are trying to get iPS cells from the patient, differentiate it into stem cells and use it for that. So it's a different approach to do the same thing, but it's still within academia. Sorry, Ahmed, what are iPS cells? Oh, sorry. <laughs> so induced pluripotent stem cells. So these are normal cells you take from the body, from donor or from the patient. You transform it into a stem cell, and then you differentiate it back into whatever you want. So they can be differentiated into anything, liver cells, blood cells, anything else. So some people are working on that, to take some cells from the donor, make it into blood stem cells, and then use it for blood stem cell transplantation. I mean, this sounds obviously extremely impressive and impactful. How long do you think that getting to that breakthrough is going to take? So we're working on the prototype and the validation right now. 
this was part of my postdoc where we're trying to build a big map of all the hematopathic stem cells in uh, in blood. So we have a map of what these stem cells do, what these stem cells do, what these stem cells in healthy. And then we use this map to separate any patient stem cells. So when we get the patient stem cells, we can use this. It's like a puzzle in a map. You have the map of the ward, and you get a small piece of puzzle. You can fit it inside the map. So by fitting inside the map, you can tell, okay, these are normal and these are not normal. And then you can identify the normal and use some markers on the normal to separate them out. So we are in the process of proof of concept right now. This will be followed by validation inside mouse model, where we take a stem cell from patient who have uh, blood cancer. We separate the cells. We isolate what we identify as good, healthy stem cells, and we put it inside the mice to show that, first of all, these can produce all types of normal blood cells, and at the same time, does not cause the disease. So that's really interesting. We have the privilege of talking to many AI startups that are based in Cambridge, and we've come across lots of different applications of AI. So maybe you could describe how you're using AI and maybe quantify the speed that you've had in terms of using AI to identify the most suitable stem cells for t- as transplantation. Okay, absolutely. So AI, as you know, is divided into several uh, different components. One of them is called machine learning. What machine learning is, in simple term, it can be used for different things. We're using for predictive algorithm. So in very simple terms, you make a plot. This is a very simple machine learning method. Let's say someone likes listening to music by Spotify. Spotify will divide the music that he listens to, to types of genre, types of mood he's in, the time of the day, and make a graph. And then we'll predict based on that in the future, what mood he will have, and what time of the day, what music he will like to listen to. So this is called predictive algorithm. So we're using this in our model to predict which patient would benefit from this type, which patient, when we see certain markers, will have the stem cells or not, and what type of stem cells can be used. Without AI, we will have to refer to a very detailed, high-intense work where every single patient, we have to do a lot of deep sequencing for every single one in order to take the big map and put it inside our map in order to identify the cells which is good and which is bad. But using AI, you can have a predictive algorithm that will shorten this one so much less so you don't have to look at this intense markers or do this intense sequencing. Instead, you look at certain markers which will give you a prediction if this patient is suitable or not, and if he have the cells that can be isolated or not. Yeah, I mean, that's really fascinating. Good luck with the competition, uh, and thanks so much for calling in today from Sweden to join us. So what an amazing set of new opportunities there. I'm, I'm glad we're not picking the winners. Now's the big moment to hand over to you and maybe we announce them in reverse order, first, second and third prize winners. So in reverse order, the third prize winner is Molly Hogan. Her opportunity, Sense, comes from the Department of Engineering and her presentation was really fantastic. The second prize, we had Oxonium presented by Mark Carrington. He's from the Yusuf Hamid Department of Chemistry. So with much anticipation and a virtual drumroll, who is following in the footsteps of Cambridge GAN Devices and Poritech and has won this year? 
first prize goes to Mostly, presented by Ishmael Sami from the Department of Material Science and Metallurgy. And he was also the winner of the Audience Choice Prize, which we did for the first time this year, to make sure that the audience also get to give their views. Amazing. Congratulations to all the winners and all the finalists, actually. It sounds like you had a really strong year. Final question, with the new Founders Programme uh, starting up, what does the future look like for the competition? So indeed, we are going to be doing things differently going forward because now Cambridge Enterprise has a whole team called Founders at the University of Cambridge to support early entrepreneurs in their activities. We're going to work through Founders to help all of the entrepreneurs from the university, so including the postdocs. And we're very much looking forward to working with that new team in the next year. That's amazing. I mean, like I said at the top of the conversation, it sounds like such an exciting time for Cambridge Enterprise. So I'm sure we'll be staying in touch on a regular basis. Yes, absolutely. And thank you very much. Thanks to all the finalists for taking part in the podcast. And of course, to the amazing Dr. Christine Martin. It's always a pleasure to catch up. We'll tag in all the finalists to the post. And if you'd like to find out more or think you would be able to help them, then please do reach out to them. And that's the end of today's episode. Tune in next week when we'll be talking to Heartfelt Technologies with two of the co-founders, Oriane Chaussieu and Seamus Hoshia. Today's show was produced by Carl Homer of Cambridge TV and supported by our media partner, Business Weekly. The Cambridge Tech Podcast is available on all major podcast platforms and on cambridgetechpodcast.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please give it a five-star review. It will really help others discover the show. Do you have some time to spare to help those in need? It Takes a City are looking for volunteers to help make a home for rough sleepers at our winter accommodation project in Chesterton. From helping to cook an evening meal, to housekeeping and cleaning, from preparing rooms, to playing board games with our guests, we have a role for you. Visit ittakesacity.org.uk and click Support Us to find out more.